Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Disciples. Disciples respond to God's gracious gospel by loving God, connecting in vital relationships with other believers, serving in the local church, and reaching the world with the gospel. So today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Again, it'll be there in your little booklets, and you can follow along on the screen. All the text I use will be up there, and encourage you also to bring your Bible and follow along there. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Hear now the word of the living, ruling God. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, We are finishing up today a series we've been doing on discipleship. We're looking at disciples here at uh, Bay Ridge and what that looks like and what it means. And we're really talking about things that could, could really particularly be observed in our discipleship. And we've, uh, this has been a five-part series. The first thing that we talked about, actually, which is not part of our, our logo on this, is disciples embrace the gospel of grace. It all begins there. You can't be a disciple of Jesus until you actually are a believer. And we become a believer by embracing the gospel of grace, by being born again, uh, by walking with him. And then we, we begin our discipleship by walking with him day by day by day. We talk about those habits of grace where we're in the word and prayer and fellowship and, and uh, all of the kind of things that we do to build up uh, our walk with God. And so that's disciples embrace the gospel of grace. And then what discipleship looks like in action coming out of that has four steps. First, disciples love our God. And this means we gather together, and the primary thing in worship is we're receiving the love of God and we're expressing back to Him that we love Him, that we are grateful that He has saved us. We don't come here to earn anything. We're not coming here to try and prove something. We're coming here out of a sense of gladness and love and joy for who God is and what He's done for us. Secondly, disciples then connect with others. They build close relationships, especially by, by gathering together with other believers. And the reason we do this is when we come into the kingdom and we take God as our Father, we receive one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so there is no such thing as a Christian who is supposed to be out there on their own. Thirdly, disciples serve. In particular, disciples serve his church. We come to serve one another. We come to serve our guests. And we do this really going against the spirit of our age. Remember last week, Scott had that funny video, you know, about virtual reality church. Where I, how can I make Sunday even more about me? That goes with our culture. That goes with the spirit of our age where we are consumers. Everything is supposed to be about me. But see, when we gather together as disciples, we learn it's not about me. It's about God first and foremost. And then secondly, it's about serving others because that's who Jesus is. So disciples love God. Disciples um, connect with others. Disciples serve his church. And then today what we're going to talk about is disciples reach the world. Because discipleship, once again, is not an internal thing where I turn in on myself. But rather we focus even outside the church 
to the world and we are propelled out to reach the lost, both personally and as a church. So let's dive into our text and talk about what this looks like. Now, first, disciples are propelled to reach the world. Notice right up front in our text, it says, therefore, go. Now, this tells us that what we're not doing is it doesn't say sit and be ready for them to come. This says, therefore, go. Jesus does not envision us sitting and hoping that they are going to come to us, but rather that we are going out to them. And this is an important posture for disciples. It's an important posture for the church. Too often today, we picture the church as being on the defensive. We are not on the defensive. The previous verse to our verse, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go. He rules and reigns over all things. How many square inches of the universe exist that Jesus is not Lord of? None. None. He rules and reigns over all things. And out of that posture, the church is going. We are not huddling back, hoping we will somehow survive the onslaught of the kingdom of darkness. No, we are on the offensive. That is the way it ought to be. We are taking the battle to the enemy, not waiting for him to take the battle to us. Jesus did not promise that therefore the gates of the church would withstand the onslaught of the enemy. It's no, the gates of hell will not survive against our coming against them. So that's the entire attitude that we have. Disciples are proactive and intentional about reaching the lost world with the gospel of God's grace. That is our basic posture. We are expecting the gospel to be extended to those who do not know. Secondly, notice to whom we are to go. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Every group, and the word there literally means what we would call today people groups. It's every breakdown you would have from the smallest clan around the world, the gospel is to penetrate. Now, this text is oftentimes used. Most often when we talk about the Great Commission, people use it to say, we believe in foreign missions. And this text is applicable to foreign missions. We are to go and that'll include going to foreign missions. But it's much more than that. This text is a clarion call for every disciple of Christ to actively seek and spread the good news. That's what we are called to do. And so this begins at home, and then it spreads out everywhere. It begins for us here in Annapolis, and then it goes to the farthest corners of the earth. In Luke's uh, account, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, actually the final words that Jesus speaks before he ascends back to the Father, here's what he says. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So notice, the disciples, they're going to go back, and the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on them, and they are in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, you're going to start where you are. Are. You don't begin by getting on a boat and sailing to the farthest corners of the earth. You start right where you are. If it had been that 
uh, Annapolis was where the disciples were located. It would have been, you'll be my witnesses in Annapolis and Central Maryland and America and to the farthest corners of the earth. And so since we are called to this very pleasant place, I might add, of Annapolis, where we live and where we uh, work in this area here in Central Maryland, we begin the call here. We start reaching out here. Disciples begin by reaching out at home. If you are in a marriage where your spouse is not a believer, you have a mission field right there. To love, to serve, to promote the gospel by a godly lifestyle right there. This is what Peter talks about, how we can do it, that, that they can be won over by our godly conduct. If we have children, we are called to be discipling and reaching them. As we say all the time, there, there are no grandchildren here, right, in the kingdom. I have grandkids. I love having grandkids. But if you understand what I'm saying, God doesn't have grandkids. Every child has to come in and embrace the gospel on their own. And so my discipleship process many years ago began with each of my four children trying to help them understand the gospel. Night after night after night, trying to extend the kingdom to them. Then seeing them embrace it and then seeing them discipled. It begins with all of us. Then we reach out to neighbors and coworkers and people who live near us. People with whom we just have natural contact that are our Jerusalem, so to speak, and we begin by working there. And then we fan out until we're reaching out to the farthest corners of the earth. Again, notice we visually represent this every Sunday when you walk in up front. Two visually noticeable, stunning pieces of artwork out there, right? On the right-hand side when you walk in, you see Annapolis, you see the docks, you see the place where we are called, that we are to reach out to this community with the gospel. And right in front of you, the map of the whole world where we are on mission around the world. Because we are called to be on mission from here to the farthest corners of the earth. It's not either or, it's both and. Be a blessing here and be a blessing there, everywhere we can reach. Now, discipleship begins by evangelizing those who do not believe. Again, to go back to the first step, you can't be a disciple you can't be discipled until you've embraced the gospel of grace. An unregenerate person is dead in their trespasses and sins, and how well can you instruct dead people? If we ask some teachers in here, right? Sharon Craft said last week she's a teacher. You probably have dead people in your class every week, right? Called high schoolers. Um, I know sometimes you think that they're dead, but if we set up a real dead person, can we instruct them? No, you can only be instructed when you've been brought to life. And so the first step is evangelism. The first step is reaching out with the good news of Jesus Christ uh, so that someone can embrace the gospel and then become a believer. And this evangelism that we're doing includes both speaking with words, but also doing mercy ministry, doing good, speaking good news, but doing good works. Now why I say this is, if you remember when Jesus began his ministry, the first sermon he ever preached is recorded in Luke 4, 18 and 19, where he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 61. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of Yahweh is on me. Because he has anointed me to do what? To preach good news, to evangelize, to speak the gospel to the poor. He has 
uh, sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So notice here, half the verbs are about us speaking and the other half are about us doing. Half of them are we're going to tell people the good news and the other half is we're going to enact what that good news talks about. If you are poor, we're not just going to say, hey, be blessed. We're going to actually try and reach out and serve and help. This is important. Jesus came to preach and to do mercy ministry and disciples follow in his path by doing both. We care for practical needs and we speak the gospel, we speak the good news. Now think about this. What if I told Linda, well look, I'm your husband, and hon, you can either have me sit, talk with you or be nice to you, one or the other. Well, now Linda might say just be nice and stop talking, but <laughs> y'all are laughing entirely too much at that joke. That joke should have fallen flat, okay? Think about it. It's not either or. It's not that, well, I can communicate with her or I can do nice things. It should be both. These two work together. It's not, does the church care for the poor? Does the church try to meet practical needs? Or does the church speak good news? Why would there be an or? It's both. The Spirit of Yahweh is upon us. And he is anointing us to preach good news to the poor and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the prisoners, to proclaim it's the year of God's favor. Jubilee has come. That is what the Spirit is anointing us to do. Disciples are proactive in ministering to both the physical and spiritual needs of this lost and broken and suffering world. Friends, when you leave here, you're not going to have to look to find evidence that this is a broken world. It's everywhere. It is all over the place. You see evidence of the brokenness of our world. And disciples are proactive in saying, God, how are you anointing me to be involved in healing this broken, fractured world by speaking the good news and by doing good works? Now, the last part of this is notice, and I've left this for last because it, in a sense it's really what the goal is. The goal is making disciples. You can't fully see this because they all look to us in English like there's a whole bunch of verbs, but there's actually only really one main verb in this, in this uh, verse here. And it is not go. It's not the other things. Those are all participles. It is make disciples. You make disciples. You're going to be going to do that because there's all kinds of nations that have got to be reached and you're going to do certain things to accomplish it. But make no mistake, the goal, the verb, the actual action is make disciples. That's what we're called to do. Everything else is subordinate to that. Again, it's harder to see in English, uh, but that's the way it is actually in the Greek. The verb is make disciples. And notice the process of discipleship includes two things, according to Jesus. I love the Lord usually makes this very simple for us. We like making it complex. He's got it very simple. How do you make disciples? You baptize and you teach. 
Baptism is the initial act of obedient faith. When someone responds to good news and good works and they say, hey, I want to be part of this. I, I believe in Jesus. And we realize that the dead have just come to life. Then the first thing they do is they're baptized as a sign of that new life. It doesn't make them a Christian, but it is a sign they have responded to the gospel. And then Jesus says you go on from there and you teach. And notice what he tells us is you teach what? Teach them to obey because it's going to affect their lives. And how much do I teach them? Everything God has commanded. If you've been around here for a while, you notice we take teaching very, very seriously. There are many, well, I kind of like when, you know, the teaching's a little shorter and slow. Then what you're saying is I don't want to be a disciple. Because discipleship requires we dig into the Word of God. Because here's a little secret for you. You're messed up. And so am I. Our minds are misshapen. Our hearts desire the wrong things. And God has a means of resolving that. It is the transforming and renewing of your mind by the Word of God. You don't get it some other way. And our minds are constantly being shaped the wrong way. Our hearts are constantly, I've been a believer now for 41 years, and I still wake up and can't believe my wandering desires. But I've got the Word of God to help form and shape and change that. And so disciples have to be part of a congregation. Always, first and foremost, make sure you are part of a church that is not engaged in all kinds of other silly, cutesy stuff. They teach the Word of God. Genesis to Revelation. If they're not doing that, you're not ever going to be formed as a disciple. It's not going to happen. So we teach them to obey everything so that we are able to be obedient, so that we are followers of Jesus actively engaged in His mission. Okay? I remember, if, for those who have been in the military, you'll understand, when you go to boot camp, it's a very intense thing because they are taking civilians and turning them into people who are in the military. And it's not a simple process because when you show up, you know nothing about being in the military. Well, we're taking people who've been dead their whole lives. They are born again. How much does it take to instruct a little child in how to become an adult? I mean, man, that is not a small task, is it? Can all the parents say, Amen. I mean, man, it is, a, it is a long, rigorous task to take these little people and turn them into something other than self-centered, little, you know, sacks of sin, right? You understand what I'm talking about. We do not believe they are born innocent. I did not teach any of my four rogues how to lie or try and deceive me. They picked all that up on their own. But it was a lot of work to form and shape character so that they are responsible, mature adults who can then do the same thing with their own children. Well, that's exactly what we're doing. When somebody comes into the kingdom, they're born again, they're a babe. And we are taking them and seeing them shaped and matured and equipped so they can then be doing that with others. And they don't have to wait until they're an adult because parents can also say, hopefully, Older siblings are helping younger siblings. And that's 
the process that we're doing. So the goal in reaching the world is not just to get converts, but more full-fledged, obedient disciples who will love, connect, serve, reach. That is the goal that we're going after. So how do we do this? Well, there's two parts. Number one, we reach the world together. Sometimes we preach this and we say, so go out there and do it on your own. But I remind you, the Christian life is never lived on its own. Our spiritual warfare is never on its own. Okay, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Rambo dies quickly. Just remember that. It's a very short movie in real warfare. He does not survive. You work as a unit. So notice here in the text, when I put up our text, I've highlighted a bunch of words. In Greek, very helpfully, when you have verbs, whether it's singular or plural, is built right into the verb. So you can know whether you're speaking about one or many. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach are all plural. And if we had kept speaking the way we should speak English, y'all would know it's I'm with y'all always, right? We messed it up, unfortunately, so you can't tell anymore. But that is I'm with y'all always. All the verbs are plural because this is a corporate commission to you and I. We carry this out together. The promise of Jesus' presence is to us as a group. doesn't mean that he's not with us individually, but he's saying, when you all are on mission, I am with you. Come what may, I will be there with you. And if you think back, when Jesus sent the disciples out, did he send them out one by one or two by two? Always. There's no record of him sending them out individually because it's really kind of a bad idea. And so our congregation reaches out together, and there are many ways as a disciple you can be part of reaching out. Just being a greeter on Sunday and welcoming somebody in, do you realize week after week there's the possibility of people walking through the doors and they are coming to a crisis point and realizing my life is not working. I need something different. And you can be there. There are people who become believers right here as they've, as they've come in and God was at work in their life just by walking into a Sunday meeting. And you and I can be part of reaching out to them with the good news right here. But there's also many other opportunities. Every month, Karen Trossel has a group go down to Lighthouse Shelter and does mercy ministry, makes meals, and is down there and prays and sits and chats and talks with the people month after month after month. We do winter relief here every January. We are in here. We did it this year. We'll be doing it again next year where we'll have 25 or 30 folks who don't even fit into the shelters that are going to be here. And it's an incredible opportunity for you and I to come in. You can be part of a Bible study. You can just hang out and eat with them after we've made a meal. Just spending time to reach out with the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. In just a few weeks, we're going to have the Easter Egg Hunt and Family Festival. I want to again remind, going back to service church, we're going to need everybody engaged. Because if it's like it was last year, we had like 750 people show up here. It's a way for us to reach out with the gospel. 
It's a way for us to serve them, care about them. But every person coming, every family, we put the gospel inside their bag. We talk about it. And we're going to let them know what we're going to be teaching following on after Easter. We do the same thing at the county fair booth. We get untold opportunities every year to share the gospel down there. Those are ways we're doing it corporately. But secondly, you and I have to reach out individually. It's not just enough to say, well, I'm part of a church that's doing it. Each of us are part of the mission as well. God has you on mission right where you are. You may be called by God to go to some far-flung country, and that's awesome. But whether you are or not, and even if you are, until you go, you're on mission right here. Right as soon as we leave today, we are on mission. You've got family. You've got people at work. You've got neighbors. All these people that you're in contact with. And what we're called to do is be looking for what I would refer to as divine appointments. There's these times when God opens a door. Now I'm going to put a verse up here that talks about this. This is Colossians 4, 5, and 6. And I'll explain a little bit here about this. Paul tells the Colossians, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, season with salt, so that you know how to answer everyone. So notice he's talking about conversations with people here. But notice it's got that phrase, make the most of every opportunity. In the Greek, the, the verb is actually redeem. You've, you may have heard the phrase redeeming the time. That's actually the phrase here. But there's two Greek words for time. One is chronos, from which we get like a chronometer, just time. The other is kairos, which is the word that's used here, that deals with, no, this is a specific moment in time where it, it's, it stands out apart from that river of time that's just moving along. You and I are in relationships with people 24-7. We're always around them. But suddenly there's that moment that it's the right moment. And Paul says when that happens, buy that time up. Make the most of it. Redeem that moment. Be ready. It's a call for you and I to be in prayer, asking God to open doors for us, and then to have our eyes open and to recognize when they're there. You will have these if you are praying, and if your eyes are open, you will have them with coworkers. I remember when I was a, a young Marine lieutenant, I was XO of a company, and we had a young woman Marine who would come in, and she'd been a top performer, but her performance had been degrading and sliding. She had gone from being one of the top physical performing female Marines to being one of the bottom performing. She couldn't make it through runs anymore, and she came in one evening, and uh, she was wanting to see the captain, and I was sitting there meet with the captain, and I said, I'll take care of this. Go to my office and wait for me. I was a little bit irritated with her. And I went over there, and she said, sir, I, I can't come to class tonight. And I said, Lance Corporal Roar, what is going on here? And quite honestly, again, I was irritated. I was about to go into, I'm about to consume you mode. And my young Lance Corporal said, I'm bulimic. I eat, stick my finger down my throat, make myself throw up. Now, at that moment, I sat there and I realized, oh boy, a door has just opened up. A little bit dicey door because I'm her XO, okay? But she said, I need help. Can you help me? 
And I said, okay, I'm taking my bars off my collar. I am not your XO. <laughs> yes, I can. You need Jesus. And she actually became a believer. I got to be part of baptizing her and watching God start to put her together. So what I'm telling you is, in that moment, I realized I was around Marines all the time. Here was an opportunity. A door was opened right there. If our eyes are open, Paul says, when that happens, make the most of it. Reach out. Look for that. And friend, God will do that. And I want to encourage you, you have good news. It is a broken and a hurting world. And the reason that young Lance Corporal had all these problems, hers actually went back to she had had an abortion when she was 15. She had been abused. And it was all of this stuff that was flowing out of that. And out of that, it was good news to be able to tell her, there is a God who sees and knows. He forgives what has gone on. And he wants to heal and restore your life. That is good news to those who are broken and suffering. You have that, and so do I. And so every disciple is called to be actively looking for opportunities to share the good news of what Christ has done. We don't, we don't have to do the good news. There are some people, you know, be the gospel. Okay, you can't be the gospel. The gospel is Jesus died to pay for the sins of mankind. If you think you can do that, you need psychological help, okay? You can't be the gospel, but we can share the gospel. And we can live lives that are in line with the gospel and that open doors to be able to tell people the good news of who Jesus is. And that is everything from a simple invitation to just say, hey, you want to come to church with me on Sunday? You'd be surprised. Most people will not start screaming and hitting you if you just say that. If they do, you now know to be praying for them. Okay? Most people will say either yes or no. But a simple invitation for them to come. Offering to pray for someone. Again, having our eyes open. I won't say the name. I was at work a few years ago. This was right about the time I became pastor. I might have already been the pastor, but I was still working my other job. A woman came into work one morning. And I said, hi, and her name, and she burst into tears. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I said, this might be one of those opportune moments. We were the only two people there. I said, is everything okay? And she said, I miscarried this weekend. It's a simple opportunity to sit and tell her that I'm sorry. Can I pray for you? And to just reach out and start sharing the gospel. You're going to have opportunities like that. They're all around us. Are we engaged in doing those, letting people know? And then the, the gospel's not complex. It's we're all a mess, all of us. But Jesus has taken care of that for us. He lived for us. He died for us. He's been raised for us. Do you want to be part of this? It's that simple. Now, how do we apply this? At this point, we need to have somebody go up and get the kids. Applying the word is going to be very short, so we can go to the water baptism. The question is really simple, and it's really applying the word through this whole series. Am I growing as a disciple of Christ? Have I embraced 
the gospel of grace. If you are here this morning, I don't even take it for granted that you actually are a Christian. You may be one of the people I'm talking about that's a dead man or dead woman walking. Have you embraced the gospel of grace? Or are you laboring somehow to solve your guilty conscience, to resolve your problems by trying to earn the favor of God? Because Christianity is the exact opposite of that. Christianity is, I quit doing that. I cannot resolve my sin problem. I cannot earn the favor of God. But Jesus has done it in my place. I'm up here as an elder in the church, not because I've got it all together. I assure you, my wife will doubly assure you, my children will triply assure you, I do not have it all together. But I do know this, however deep and wide my sin is, the mercy of Jesus Christ is broader and deeper and greater and can cleanse my every sin. Friend, do you understand that? Have you embraced the gospel of God's grace? If you have not, embrace it now. It's not a particular format or something else. It's saying, Jesus, I believe you lived for me. I believe you died for me. I want to be your disciple. I want to be your follower. And then talk to me, and I will talk to you about how to, how to walk that out. Second question, am I growing strong in God's grace personally? We can't just go through these rote motions and say that discipleship. Discipleship's a living, breathing. The disciples walked with Jesus every day. And that's what we do. We walk with Jesus every day. Tomorrow morning, let's wake up and say, Jesus, it's another day to walk with you. I'm going to open your word. Lord, would you speak to me? Teach me. I, I'm your follower. And, and then walk after him. Spend time in prayer with him. Are we doing that? Many Christians struggle because we don't do the simple thing of walking with Jesus. You can't be a disciple if he's walking and I'm off wandering around. A disciple walks with him. It's really no more complex than that. Am I loving God by regularly participating in corporate worship? Friends, when you become a believer, you want to worship God. I suddenly realize I'm not the center of the universe. Thanks be to God. He's the center of the universe. And I want to offer worship to him. I want to gather with those who are there to do the same thing, to offer worship and praise to God. Am I regularly doing that? Because, friends, if we're, if we're very hit and miss in gathering for corporate worship, you're going to find your discipleship stunted. Am I connecting with others? As we've said, even in reaching the world, everything about the Christian life is corporate. Our culture is so individualistic, but the faith is not because you weren't made to be individualistic. You were made for community. You were made for relationship. Am I vitally connected to other believers who know me, who love me, who are praying for me, who will hold me accountable? Am I doing that or am I running from it? Am I actively using my gifts to serve his church? Scott told us last week, how many, how many Christians have gifts? All. A non-gifted Christian is an oxymoron. When you come to Christ, 
You are gifted. The Holy Spirit is at work in you. He's giving gifts. Am I using those to serve other people? The reason we don't serve is not because we're not gifted, but because we've spent our entire lives being taught how to be narcissists, to look to make everybody else serve me. That's why we don't serve. Am I using it? Because, friend, when you see God work through you to serve other people, that is so exciting and encouraging. And then the last area, am I on mission to reach the lost? See, friends, this whole thing here, notice that the arrows lead right into each other, and at the end, it doesn't go off. It goes feeds right back in the other. Because I want to tell you, when you see that the day that I went home and that Lance Corporal had prayed to receive Christ, and the day I was involved in baptizing her, it wasn't a day I just said, eh, nothing happened at work today. No, when Linda said, how was work today, you wouldn't believe what happened today. I was sitting there, I was irritated, and then God opened this door. Okay, it's, there's something exciting. It feeds right back into making me want to worship God even more because I've been part of being in His mission. It all feeds right back into itself. Am I growing and doing this? Now, what we're going to do now as a response, normally we'd be coming to the Lord's table. Today we're going to do the other sacrament that Jesus gave the church, which is water baptism. And Josh and Owen Hicks, who happen to be my two oldest grandchildren, are going to be coming forward and they're going to be getting water baptized. Water baptism is the initial act of obedient faith. And Josh and Owen have expressed an understanding of the gospel. We have talked and worked with them to see them understand the gospel and then they expressed that they wanted to be water baptized. And Tim, their dad, has sat down and gone over with them what water baptism is about. And then I went and sat down with them to spend time and make sure they understand it. Because I want to encourage you, discipleship is not just reaching out horizontally, so to speak, to those who don't know. It's also reaching down vertically through the generations. Nothing more important than us discipling the next generation. So this is really, really important. Parents, I want to urge you, we've brought the kids back down. If your kids are here and they have not been water baptized, you need to, number one, make sure they understand the gospel. We are going to do all we can. Simeon's having a meeting next week with parents. We encourage you to go. Our church is trying to labor along beside you. But the number one thing that will determine whether your children are disciples 20 years from now is you, not us. Parents make the foolish choice all the time of going to the church that's got the happening youth group that everybody's talking about. And kids leave the faith in droves out of those because that is not how disciples are made. They are made at home. That's how they're made. So we want to encourage you parents, please be doing that. If you're here and you've never been baptized, please see me. And we will talk about that. What's going to happen now is Josh and Owen are going to come forward and the family's going to be around them. And we are going to be praying for them. And then after we do, their dad, they're going to get in the water and their dad's going to ask them a couple of questions and baptize so the family can come up to pray. The family can come up to pray. And, uh, oh yeah, you got that one. So, and I got a mic here for anybody who wants to pray. And we're going to pray for Josh and Owen in a minute. Uh, they're going to get in the water and be baptized. So let's pray together.
Dear God, I thank you very, very much for my two sons here, for Josh and Ellen. I thank you for a blessing that they've been in my life. I thank you that they've accepted you into their heart. I thank you for the love that they've shown for you, and I thank you for their dedication. I thank you that they have this desire to be water baptized. pray that they would take this experience today, that they would use it, and that they would continue progressing on in their faith. Yes, Lord. That they would continue doing good works, that they would grow in faith and strengthen mm -hmm. you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Father God, your scripture says uh, to pass uh, it on from one generation to the other. Mm -hmm. And I just thank you that we are able to witness this uh, being passed on from one gener generation to another, to another, to another. Um, Lord, I just thank you for these two uh, boys, Lord God, that we've, we've watched their joy, their the excitement, their um, energy, Lord, and now we've watched them uh, accept you. And I just pray that you would bless this day yes, as Lord. a reminder yes, to Lord. them that, mm -hmm. uh, of who they are in Christ, um, that you would remind them um, who they are uh, in you, Lord, that uh, they will be able to look back and know that um, this was the beginning of just a, a, uh, a new life in, in you, Lord God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Father, I thank you for Josh and Owen and for their profession of faith and their desire to follow you. Jesus, I thank you that they have pressed and stated that they wanted to be water baptized. They've been very excited about this. Lord, I thank you for Josh and how he has a zest for life. Lord, for the joy that I've seen in him from the moment of his birth. Father, for how I see him wanting to be an obedient follower of you. Lord, I thank you for Owen. I thank you for all the times, Lord, that he's asked me, Papa, would you read the Bible to me? Father, I pray that you would make them both men of your word, that it would dwell deep in their hearts. Father, I pray that you would pour gifts out on them by your Holy Spirit right now, and that those gifts would be developed in the coming years, and whatever they would do, Lord God, whatever line of work you would call them in, O oh God, whether they were called to be teachers or businessmen, whether they were called to be pastors or missionaries, Father, whatever you would call them to be, that they would be your disciples who are part of your ongoing mission to reach the world. Father, pour your Holy Spirit out on them. Fill them to overflowing. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. What we're going to do at this time, and I'll describe as we do it, Tim, their dad, is going to be baptizing them. And for our visitors, this may be a little bit unusual. But again, I have worked with them. We do this quite regularly. And the reason that we oftentimes have the dads do the water baptism is we want to remind them they are responsible to raise their children in the ways of the kingdom. So we've gone through this and uh, worked so that they understand. And now we're going to have the water baptism, starting with Owen, the younger one. Okay, Owen. Owen.
Look at me. Remember, we're going to ask a few questions, okay? Look at me. Are you a Christian? Yes. And what makes you a Christian? By following the Lord and believe. and believe in Him all the time. Okay, good job. And why do you want to be baptized today? You're nervous, aren't you? Okay, you're nervous. It's okay. Why do you want to be baptized? Remember what you tell Papa. You want to? You remember about putting the old man to death, right? Putting the old man to death and and bringing in the new man. Good job. Jesus commanded this, right? Okay. Amen. Then, by your profession of faith and through the command of the Lord, Father. Son, and Holy Spirit, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you have a towel over here for him? I like that. All right, Josh, you can get up there. Hey Josh, just like what we did with Owen, are you a Christian? Yes. What makes you a Christian? Believing in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> believing in God, right? Nothing else makes you a Christian other than believing in that God that he saved you from your sins. Okay? Mm -hmm. And why do you want to be baptized? To bring out the old body and bring in a new one. Yes. Okay. Josh, do you want me to hold your nose? By the command of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you. I'm going to close us with the word of benediction. We can go ahead and stand. I want to encourage you, as always, give the kids a hug. You'll get a little wet, it will dry. And I encourage you as well, parents, if your kids have any questions, talk with them. And if they are interested in water baptism, let me know. It's a great day, is it not, to see two young men expressing their desire to be disciples. So I encourage you now, I'm going to speak the word of blessing and benediction out of Psalm 67. Receive the blessing of our God. May God be gracious to us. And bless us and make his face shine upon us so that his ways may be known on the earth, his salvation among all nations. Go forth blessed and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.